first, let's give a, the, another overview of how you got into the whole situation in the first place where a graduation from court is like an exciting moment in your life. So at some point, you were living a normal life, right? And then out of the blue, you, as I did, began experiencing some symptoms of a mental illness, right? So what was that like? Well, two epi- manic episodes happened uh, previous to the one that I ended up uh, putting me or landing myself in jail. Uh, but at the time after my second manic episode, I think uh, my psychiatrist at the Bay Area Children's Association asked me, do you think you're unipolar or bipolar? And she said, oh, I said unipolar. And she said, I agree with you. But uh, I haven't seen her for a long time, not since tw- the end of the 2014-2015 school year. Hmm. So uh, anyway. Wait, wait, wait. So unipolar and bipolar. Bipolar is when you have mood swings that are both uh, in the up and down direction. So you can be manic, which is in the up direction, yeah. where you uh, have kind of hyper risk-taking behaviors, etc. You miss sleep, things of that nature happen. And then the other side would be depression, where you uh, have a decreased mood, you can lose your appetite, you can not have the will to move out of bed at times, and things of that nature. So when you said unipolar, did you mean in the positive or negative direction, more depressed or more manic? Negative, depression. Okay, got you. Uh, And then she went on maternity leave. Uh, So Dr. Yang, who I happened to work with uh, after my first manic episode, he came to uh, BACA. And then he, we did have, we had a, a couple of sessions maybe and at the final one, he said that, oh, I don't think you need medication anymore. This was February of 2016. So I got off medication. And and, and at the time, you were on depression medication. Yeah, Zyprexa. Okay. And then you got off of the depression medication yeah. with this new doctor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then I didn't see him at all. I, th- I, th- I guess he thought it wasn't necessary that I was managing my symptoms well. Mm. Uh, so I continued working two jobs, Jamba Juice and Marakai, uh, about 40 hours per week, seven days a week. So it was, I was being productive, but I think uh, I neglected a lot of self-care activities. Okay. Uh, and then I led, I was spending too much time on the computer and uh, in the library. Uh, the maximum amount of time you can spend on one account is three, but I also had my dad's uh, library card number and PIN, so I'd be sometimes I'd be there for you know six hours. Mm-hmm. It didn't interfere with work or with work. It was just when I had time, and that sometimes I'd read uh, the bestsellers in the Cupertino Library's collection. Yeah. Uh, and then it came to that day uh, I'd been acting erratically before. My parents uh, let my brother know that I wasn't feeling well, so he messaged me through Facebook. And in fact, I was just going over some my entire Facebook conversation history with my brother. Yeah. And I noticed uh, some some messages that slightly were not from me, meaning I just didn't. They're not in my character to say this. Okay. In a, in a normal state of mind. Yeah. Uh, 
And he, he called me, I think, at around 7.30 that night, uh, Pacific Coast or West Coast. And then uh, he couldn't talk any sense to me. Uh, I, he started talking to my parents. I slammed, my, or I slammed the bedroom door against my dad's hand, punched him on the side of the head, left. Uh, I think I was eating a mango and kind of like just behaving wild. Uh, and then that I would stay up until I think uh, I don't know I think I stayed up all night or close to it I went to sleep and then mm-hmm. I woke up in the middle of the night and I didn't go back to sleep and that time I was drinking my mom's soy milk along with the some Skittles <laughs> and <laughs> I love that you're you're really specific detail <laughs> but yeah so you were you were acting out of your normal behavior yeah and you were missing sleep yeah, it, it happened a little bit uh, prior to this. Yeah. Uh, I rarely drink coffee, but there was one time I just, I was, I think, awake almost all night, and I went to a coffee society at the Oaks Shopping Center. And yeah. I I didn't have work that day, which is obviously a good thing, but, yeah, that's just another detail. And then, uh, so that... That day that I was drinking slime milk and eating Skittles, my dad, I had an opening shift at Jama Juice, so I had to get there at 5.40. To, and uh, the person opening with me is a, the GM, Daniel. Hmm. Uh, so I ended up showing up about 20 minutes late because I refused to go, and finally I just left with my dad. Uh, and then uh, I got a write-up later that day uh, because of my... Because uh, you were late. Yeah, failure to be punctual. Then, after that, I walked to the library to spend some time before my shift at Marokai. Yeah. And then I ended up not going. My dad uh, found out when Marokai called home. Mm-hmm. And then he, he on uh, Google Hangouts, he said, you know, come on, don't make it any worse. Uh, it's already bad enough. Just go. Uh, they've been so uh, support well. Yeah. They, they've given you a job, and you know, yeah. you're, you've, you've been there for a while, so he's just do what's right. Yeah. But I didn't. Uh, and then I stayed in there in the library until, I think, almost until close, mm-hmm. which I think on those days, on the weekdays, except Fridays at 6, but the other days it's at 9. I don't think I left. I think I left a couple hours before that. Yeah. And then I went back home. Uh, I asked if my dad could cook dinner because... They would cook dinner if I was being productive, which I had been. But uh, if I, you know, did not do what I was supposed to do, I had to cook myself. Okay. And he said no. And then uh, then I went to sleep after cooking like the eggplant and some pasta and some other stuff. So then after I went to sleep, I woke up the next day. Uh, whenever I didn't have work, I couldn't be at home. So my dad would usually take me to the communities Quinlan Community Center mm-hmm. or uh, someplace if that would happen if say the bef- before the library opened and then I walk over to the library okay and then I refused to leave just like the day before and then uh, it got to the point where they called Dr. Yang uh, mm-hmm. my psychiatrist at the time and nothing helped and then uh, I think my dad was with downstairs in uh, my parents' bedroom with my mom, and then he came back up, and then uh, I was 
before that, I was waving a knife. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I had a dictionary open, I think, to America. Yeah. Because I was a... Uh, I had been obsessing over Ariana Grande's uh, album, Dangerous Woman, the release up to it, and I was thinking about the donut incident and I Hate America, so this was just... What's the donut incident? I don't really follow Ariana Grande oh. or things related to her. So when she was with Ricky Alvarez... Uh, they were, I think, down in L.A. There's a donut shop. And they went in there, and then she licked a donut and put it back. And then she was caught on camera saying, oh, I hate America. I hate Americans. And uh, I think part of it was what she was talking about, the obesity problem. Oh, that's odd. Is she American? She she is American. I told, I've told my dad this before. I mean, he asked the same question. I was like, yeah. Huh. And you think that the and the knife waving was somehow connected to you thinking about Ariana Grande and the dictionary, yeah, or at least the dictionary was connected with yeah. Ariana Grande. It the, wasn't just randomly America. You're thinking yeah. about the donut incident, yeah. Okay, which by the way is another symptom, is obsessing over symptom of of of, of certain manic behaviors is obsessing over celebrities. That's a very yes. specific one. Actually, I have a list of the ones I have from Atascadero. Mm-hmm. I found them over spring break, <laughs> so I actually want to show you, but uh, but I'll do that after. I didn't plan for this. Yeah. Um, okay, so you're, you're having a weird conversation with your brother, then you're having incidents at work, you came late and you missed work, and then you're, you're having these kind of irrational expectations from your parents, and you're not understanding why they're demanding what they are from you with the example of, can you cook dinner? Even though you know you just missed work and whatever. Yeah. And the convention in your house was, if you're doing well, then you get dinner. But if not, you don't. You have to yeah. cook it yourself. So you were behaving abnormally. Then you're waving the knife, mm-hmm. and you have the dictionary open. On the table. Uh, at the kitchen. Well, we don't have a kitchen table, but it was where my mom usually does her work. So okay. it was on that table. And then my dad came up, and then he tried to talk. I don't know. I'm, of course, I don't remember what he said, but... And we turned around, and then I poked him with a steak knife on his back. Oh, wow. And then I pushed him down the stairs. It's, it's not how many flights, it's how many steps. I think uh, probably eight. Yeah. But anyway, it was, it was bad. Yeah. So then after that, uh, my mom called 911. Okay. Uh, they showed up. I had my knife still in my hand. They told me, you know, throw away the knife. And uh, so I threw it to the side. And I think... How many cops? Three. Okay. Uh, I think I was playing music also at the same time. I think <laughs> okay. it was a uh, it was Taylor Swift's 1989. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I had some of the albums, the photos from her on, on the couch. And yeah. So then uh, they arrested me. I went. I left, and I was in the police car for a while while they were getting statements from my mom, and my dad. Yeah. Uh, they told me you know your rights, and I didn't say anything. Mm. Uh, then we left. Uh, I didn't know where we were going, but we ended up at the county jail, main, main jail. Main jail. Uh, got booked. Uh, I remember I think there was some kind of ball or there was some kind of object. I think maybe someone's slipper, and I was like kind of, I was handcuffed the yeah. chair but I was still like able to move it around and I tried to get into the room holding cell mm-hmm. to other people and I think uh with the position I was like I was pedaling like on a bike yeah uh, I was just trying to pass time and 
and then uh, I ended up in jail. And you went straight to the eighth floor. Yeah. And you just stayed there the whole, the whole time. time. Yeah, AB. Yeah. And uh, which is the mental health floor. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking in slang here, I guess. Uh, well, I wasn't AB the whole time. I think I was in eight C or eight A or one of the other fours, the ones with uh less people. I think I don't think that's where they put the initial, like uh the fifty one fifties, or I don't know what it was, but I was there for like a couple of days, and I remember there was a CEO, a CEO right, it was a woman, and I kept on uh using the intercom. Yeah. And this was used for emergency. That kept them yelling stuff. And, and she was like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> but anyway, I, I didn't last. I wasn't there for too long. Uh, I went, then I went to where I was there for most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, uh, I worked out for, I think, like six days straight. And I did it for like a long time during the day. I was doing uh, planks. Uh, I was laying on the bed, propped up, uh, pedaling. Yeah. Uh, I did sit-ups. Uh, I did, uh, I was, I, I was so much energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, by the way, another one of the things that comes with mania is a lot of energy, which yeah. is why it can feel so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, your jail experience, it was pretty much single cell, right? There was no, like, community experience no. that you had no dorm experience no. and you're in the secondary like 5150 area how long yeah. were you in there two days two days i've been three are you serious yeah wow wait no 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 no. i mean are the, you the total the, jail time oh, for total both, jail time. both both parts yeah both parts my whole stay yeah and both parts meaning the initial place where they house people and the second place where they house people. It was 15 weeks. 15 weeks. Okay. What yeah. is that? I don't know. Months. Who knows? Three I months and know. three weeks. <laughs> three months, three weeks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm a quasi mathematician. <laughs> so, um, and then was, when did your recovery, when do you feel like your recovery uh, started? Whatever you, or how do you define your recovery? Oh, my clean date is November 4, 2016. But that's an interesting thing because for you, drugs weren't really a part of the equation, right? Yeah. So maybe the clean date is one way of defining it, but it might not be the best for your situation, right? Yeah. So this is what I mean from a manic perspective. At some point, you realize that uh, your past behavior was out of character. Whereas I think when you're in a manic state or when, when I was in a manic state, it felt like everything was still genuinely, either one, it was genuinely me, or two, I was, uh, you know, I had psychotic experiences too. So I was like connected to some other being that was channeling stuff to me. But uh, at some point I realized, no, 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 no. The channeling and that feeling of like, yeah, this is right, this makes sense. Those are all part of delusion. All of it is. Right, the part that is genuinely me was not available at those times. To me, that's where I would say the recovery began from a mental health perspective. Just to give you another example of how it can be defined outside of like drug addiction, you know. So from that perspective of like recognizing, uh, recognizing certain realities about your own mental health, when did that start? Because it seems like definitely when you were going to jail, it wasn't a factor. 
because the conversation with your brother, things with your parents, you know, you didn't fully understand what was going on. And it seems like no one else did, right? They just think, oh, maybe you're just missing work when in reality yeah. something else is brewing. Um, when do you feel like you recognized, hey, this is something I have to manage? And it's that my behavior, that, that doesn't have to be the way that it, it is forever. Or has that happened, or maybe has it been gradual? How do you feel about that? It's been gradual. Uh, I just, my clean day is just the day I got out of jail. So that just, for me, it just represents, you know, freedom. I can finally do something. Uh, but uh, initially, I was very angry with my dad, towards my dad. Uh, I felt it was like his problem. Uh, my case man, I let my case manager know that, and it wasn't until uh, I think a February court date that uh, Anthony asked me, "Do you uh, what do you think of your dad now?" And I kind of wasn't a 360, but it was a change, so I was yeah. more accepting of him, and I began to take responsibility for my own actions. And that was about the time where I enrolled in my DV class. My first one was February 23rd of uh, 2017. Mm. So, when that, did you get out? February. Give me a point of reference of like. I got out on November 4th. Oh, okay. Early November. So that's almost four months. Yeah. That's wild. And uh, through the Family Children's Services, you know, the DV program, I was able to. I learned a lot uh, about, you know, male privilege, uh, eye statements, many other uh, coping techniques. Uh, uh, I think the support at Evans Lane, the people I met, the community workers, uh, the groups, that definitely contributed to a different perspective on life. Uh, And doing things that I wanted to do, like going to school. Yeah. Uh, keeping my mind engaged, because part of my depression is when it happens, when my thoughts slow down, and eventually, I know this is impossible, but it seems like I can think nothing. Mm. Uh, I do remember back in uh, 10th grade, I was depressed, and our history teacher, uh, Mrs. Brosowitz, she wanted uh, people to take t time out, Mm -hmm. So she was like, you know, just for a minute, just try thinking of nothing. And I was depressed at the time, so I was like, you know, wow, this is easy. Wow. Uh, and uh, I don't know, so just staying stimulated, uh, working hard, and you know, reminding myself of successes, but also the mistakes I made. Keeps things in perspective. How did you uh, get into Manly's court? Was it an immediate thing, or did you have to request it? I think it was immediate. Yeah, probably since you were on that floor, too. Yeah. Hmm. That place seems like uh, just such... Uh, I don't know how common it is, but it's it's. I feel like incredibly lucky for just being around here at all. Um, I don't know how things are in like San Francisco or whatever, but like the fact that there's there was like a mental health option 
uh, in existence is like the single thing that probably changed my life. Because I suspect that no matter what was going on in my life, I probably would have had a manic episode. Um, because it's just, it's, it's not completely random for me. One, I have a, a family history of people with mental uh, health issues. And two, I, I feel like the only things that I did that would have given me extra stress or like pushed me over, like environmental factors that could have pushed that genetic factor um, over the whatever, uh, is that I smoked weed and I was a super student. So like I... Actually, it wasn't even that I was a super student, but it was that I was was super goal-oriented already. So when I became manic, it didn't really seem like much of a change in my behavior except that uh, I was missing sleep and I was more irritable. But other than that, I had already set really big goals for myself and I had already had a reputation of like systematically attacking those goals. So... I think that that definitely was bad for my mental health. It was horrible self-care. And um, even though it was productive in, in a sense, on an emotional, personal level, I was, I mean, I was destroying myself. They say it's like, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really hard to create. It's really hard to bring something into reality. It's one thing to maintain something that's already there or to follow directions, but to actually manage weighs on you. And... I was the type of person who would take on those tasks unnecessarily. And, and like I said, I smoked weed. So anytime you're dealing with any substance, if you already have a predisposition for things like uh, psychotic disorders, then even drugs like weed could be um, slightly more dangerous for you than for other people. So I probably would have done both of those things anywhere, you know. But I was so, looking back at it, I'm so, I feel like lucky and grateful that for whatever reason, I think just because I was studying engineering, when I was manic, my first thought was I need to get to Silicon Valley. And that's the reason ultimately why I got into Manly's court was because I was here. Because in reality, I should have been in Alabama. And I'm thinking, what if I would have done the same thing in Alabama? I'd just be another dude in prison. You know what I mean? Um, no shift of X podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the prison podcast. That's what I'd be running. <laughs> Getting, getting some pices to try to make peace with the brothers. But, um, yeah, I, I, I asked that because, for me, I really did have to fight to get into man. Not even fight, just it was a long process, and it wasn't even guaranteed. It was kind of like, hey, by the way, are you, you know, interested in this court? And the only reason why I knew about it was because other inmates told me, like, oh, if you can, definitely get into this person's court because it's just better, and that was all I knew about it. So, um, But that's how we ended up meeting each other, going to Evans Lane directly out of Manley's Court. I was on the eighth floor initially, but then they moved me to uh, BC Dorm, and then eventually to Elmwood, and then I got OR'd, and then while I was OR'd, I committed another crime, still in manic episodes, still psychotic disorders, still hearing voices. It's like they didn't really evaluate me for mental health at all, in that county. Then for me, like my recovery started at Atascadero State Hospital, which is uh, uh, my public defender said he's not competent to stand trial. We need to send him to a hospital. I went there and the first day that I was there, that was the first day that I was like, oh, this is like, I have a mental illness. 
right? This is not my normal behavior because it's almost, I felt like for me, it was more psychotic disorder than anything else. And the creepiest thing about it is that your sense of what is weird, one, your sense of what is true is fucked. But second, which is kind of a direct consequence, your sense of what is weird or unusual is completely fucked as well. So you may feel like, yeah, this is completely normal. This is what's supposed to happen. This makes sense. When in reality, you're doing some some wild shit, you know? And uh, that was like something for me to grapple with. But what made it easy was being around other people who were all in similar or worse situations. I mean, Atascadero State Hospital, it's like prisoners are scared of that place mm-hmm. because you don't get a real sentence. You're there until they decide you can leave for certain, depending on why you're there. So there are people who are there basically as slaves and there's nothing that they can do. They go to a doctor once every year or once every six months to get reevaluated. And if they don't have good marks, then they say, "Ah, keep them another six months, keep them another six months. So some people never make it out of a Tascadero. And, And that's, I mean, it was like the first time being in an almost prison because there were lifers there that were like, yeah, we're never getting out, ever. This is where we're going to die. So whatever you got to grapple with, like, okay, if worst case scenario, you got to go to prison for six years. At least at the end of six years, you're getting out. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, people would say, like, prison is better than jail. Have you heard this meme? <laughs> Maybe some variations of it. Yeah, it was, it's so common in jail. It's, I, and I still haven't gotten someone to explain it on record. So it's just me repeating it. Um, but anyhow, uh, so yeah, that was the beginning of my recovery. And now I'm still involved with my outpatient group. I still have probation for a different case. Um, so they like drive me out there amongst other things. And it's still nice to, to, to go to the groups. But um, it just brings it back uh, kind of full circle because, again, in a way, this is a form of me celebrating your graduation um, and kind of recognizing that you're a different person, you know. Um, you're a different person than you were the night that, you know, you were looking up America uh, from the day that I met you, and then you're a different person now from then. Um, you're obviously involved in... Um, a lot of a lot of activities here. Um, you're taking care of your your mental health. You're aware of self care. You're aware of uh, things like medication, psychiatrists, etc. Um, and the DV classes seem to have benefited you the most. It sounds like maybe just from um, not just the material, but the the people you get to run into, the people you get to interact with. It really is like a completely different world. But it's always available like, at like a meeting or something like that. So uh, yeah, I I wanted to congratulate you and see how you're doing. I always want to see how you're doing. <laughs> and guess who else does? Stephanie wants to see how you're doing. <laughs> but um, I I it, it's interesting seeing like how you recap the last year, a couple of years of your life at different stages at different stages. And it's never finished. There's some things that I still am like, like I still have certain thoughts and ideas about my family members 
as a result of what I experienced in psychosis because that was a part of the delusion for me. But it's not like, you know, completely erased when it's over. You still have those memories and you still have those like leanings and predispositions. So uh, I catch myself from time to time like, yeah, you know what? I don't hate this person. I just think this, think what I think about him because of some weird shit that happened way back when, but uh, not that long ago, rather. But um, the truth is, like you recognized, I think eventually I will recognize, like, hey, you know what? It's, it has nothing to do with them. And it, it might be like I'm mistreating somebody because I, I haven't fully uh, accepted the reality of the situation. It's hard to. It's like an ongoing, how do you know what's real and what's, what's not if you've lived for, for months in a false reality? You know, um, so it's a tricky puzzle, but you know that's mental health. I uh, actually want to get out this thing though, which I didn't plan to do. Whatever. Let's see. Um, actually, it's two things. So one of them is uh, one of them is a letter that an inmate wrote, not a letter, but like a sheet of paper that another inmate wrote to me. Because um, I said, oh, I listened to this song or whatever. And he said, oh, I'll write you up like a list of songs in this genre that I would recommend. And then you can look them up when you get out. And I completely forgot about it. But then I was trying to do my taxes over spring break. And I was shuffling through a bunch of papers. <laughs> and, uh, and one of the things was I had to go through all my jail stuff. And uh, I was like, you know what? This is actually pretty dope that I still have it. Now, I flipped that over. Now, notice it says, uh, from Austin to Bobby, right? At the time, I was going by Bobby just to hammer in that I was living in a different reality. <laughs> yeah, I don't recognize any of these artists or songs. Exactly. It's actually a rare thing he hooked up for me. Except for Green Day. <laughs> oh, and Metallica. Oh, fuck, this would be the wrong one. Uh, I'm, I'm looking up the uh, delusion where... Oh, I think this is a different paper. Oh, okay, so yeah, this is a different paper, but I still found something useful. I'm looking up the name of it, and this paper doesn't have the name, but can you read the, the bottom delusion on this one <laughs> read it read it I, i've done research on this too aloud i mean the illusions that someone often a famous person is in love with you when in reality they aren't also called erotomania or oh, it does have the name the cutting syndrome wow what's crazy about this now i told you atascadero was the best mental health education i could have got this is what i called the trifecta one, you have psychiatrists and psychologists. You have experts there. Two, you have other people there who are somewhere on the spectrum of like, they've all had some kind of a weird mental experience, but some of them are still like in the delusion and others have been in it, but they're out. And then the third is you have direct experience and hopefully you've been in it and you're out or if you're in it, you're in a great environment to like figure out 
how to get at. And uh, one exercise, this isn't the exact sheet, but this is an example of the type of shit we would do. It was like, you can imagine at Evans Lane, we, we eat, we live, we go to groups, but we're in the outside world. This place was like Evans Lane, but you're in jail. But it's, but it's designed only for mental health patients. So it's like a round-the-clock uh, group, basically. <laughs> like, and, and everyone who's there has some rough background in psychology. So uh, one activity that they had was like, okay, these are the 10 most common delusions. right? I want everyone at the table to check off whatever they've experienced. And I checked off all of them except that one. <laughs> yeah, so that, it was like a very connecting experience where you realize what you've gone through is actually not unusual given that, you know, you have this, if you have one of them, it's not unusual that you have a bunch of them. And it's, it's very, um, for me at least, it was a warm experience to go through that with other people who had already experienced it. In that sense, everyone except the psychologist and the psychiatrist were connecting with each other. Like, hey, you know what, I thought that the whatever conspiracy was a big deal, but hey, that's how human brains work. That's not me personally. It's that that is kind of a groove in our psyche that when our brain goes, you know, when it dysfunctions, that groove suddenly becomes the center of our experience. Um, but yeah, th and which is also why I find you so interesting psychologically. It's because the, the, that seems to be your main one. <laughs> yes. like, but but here's, the, here's the thing about that. Now, everybody obsesses over celebrities, right? Everybody obsesses. But it seems that what's different is the lengths that you're willing to go to in order to be aligned with this delusion. Because it's fine to say, like, uh, Beyonce's hot, you know? There's nothing wrong with that. But it's another thing if you're, if you're saying Beyonce's hot, therefore I should get Beyonce's face tattooed on my face or something <laughs> like that. Something where it just goes beyond the normal scope of reason. And suddenly you have to say, she can't be that hot that that's worthwhile to you, right? And what's funny about uh, hearing you describe what you've experienced is that it seems like the obsession is gone, but you're still interested in these celebrities, just <laughs> like, like you're not completely abandoning them either. So it's one of those where it's a thin line, like, I feel like I can see the difference in someone who is truly obsessive outside of their uh, control, and someone who's just, you know, they have an interest. I mean, who knows? They, I heard they make pretty good music, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it's not like there's no, they're very popular for a reason. Um, so it's, it's always funny thinking about the things that, under certain circumstances, are excessive. But then in other situations, it's actually just normal human behavior. And that is the challenge of mental health, it seems, is how do you distinguish? Like your psychiatrist was asking you, are you monopolar or, or how, how did they say Uni, it? Uni, Okay. Are you unipolar or bipolar? How do you make that distinction? You have to have some norm, right? You have to have something where you're saying, well, this is enough, right? And anything past this is excessive. And that goes for both sides. So if you're excessive on one side but not on the other then we're saying this or we're saying that. But the reality seems to be more of a dance that you make one edit and you see how it works out. You make another change. 
see how it works out. I feel like I've been lucky on that front. I told you this before, but I pretty much had one medication from the jump, and I've just stuck with that. Matter of fact, they tried to get me on a thousand like anxiety things. Like I went to, I went to the office and I said, I think I'm bipolar. And they said, all right, sure. I, you know, we had similar thoughts. We're going to put you on this. They put me on it. Everything was fine. And then uh, they shifted me from one spot to another. And then something happened with the records. <laughs> and by the time all the smoke had cleared, they had like nine bottles at medication <laughs> time. I said, I'm not taking all that shit. And they're like, well, this is what's prescribed. I said, no, it's not. You guys fuck something up. This is what I'll do. That little thing right there, I'm taking it. Everything else, I don't give a fuck what you do with it, but I'm not taking it. You guys could throw me, you know, beat me, whatever whatever you're going to do, do it. Because at the time, I was in the jail. But they were they had a policy where they were like, if you say no, we're just not going to do it. It's on you. So, um, yeah, I feel like the only thing that's happened is I slightly increased it. And then from there, I'm smooth sailing. Yeah, so I'm really happy about that. I got transferred out of the FSP program at Gardner to the Tay program. So I no longer have to go to groups. Okay. Uh, it's less intensive. Mm. Uh, we just, I just, that just happened on Tuesday when I met my case manager. Wow. Uh, we filled out a bunch of forms, giving consent to say my parents, my brother, Deanza. Uh, Heaven's Gate. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a milestone. One of the facilitators, the two days after that group, he was like, oh, I was looking at your case file and I saw that. And he was, you know, he was like, that's uh, something to be proud of. And I was like, yeah. It's nice. We no longer are, if you're part of, F, if you're part of the normal group, you have to fill out a progress note. Mm-hmm. And I always take time to fill out the entire sheet. Uh, most people like it's like a sentence and they're done. And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's cool. And also, you're still doing the peer mentor thing, right? Yeah, that started uh, not this Tuesday, but the Tuesday before that. Okay. So, can you explain what a peer mentor is and what your responsibilities are? Well, so far, Gardner has a drop-in center. Uh, it opens at eight. Uh, the other guy, Pedro, uh, he's a, he gets paid. He's a, well, he's kind of his peer partner. So he opens. Uh, usually there's Wayne, too, who's also another peer mentor, mm-hmm. even though he hasn't been here a couple of weeks. Apparently he's sick. Yeah. Uh, so before group, uh, we just make sure people are using correctly. They're not doing any drugs. Uh, they're behaving if there's food, we encourage them to eat it because there's sometimes restaurants or nonprofits donate whatever is left over. That's cool. Uh, just get people adjusted. Uh, and one time, uh, I had a shadowing experience. I went with Wanda, one of the clinicians, uh-huh. to pick up a client of hers. Uh, I think it was Darrell or... It was an African-American young man, and we went to probation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd never been inside probation, so this was new to me. I'd just been in the parking lot. Uh, so there was the, the security checkpoint. Uh, Wanda and Darrell, they went through, and then the, the 
the guy in charge, one of the officers, was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, <laughs> I'm shadowing and held on my badge. And he's like, oh, okay. So uh, the guy, he met with his PO. I sat on the session. They uh, talked about what they're uh, – he just been, he got out of jail, you know, a couple of weeks. So it was just kind of get to know each other and yeah. know, sit down some ground rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was something. Uh, I went through a training with the other peer mentor, Bethany. Uh-huh. Uh, we just watched – Two vid- three videos. One was about the gar- history of Gardner. Other two were about sexual harassment and workplace bullying. Uh, I got my badge, which I think I have here. I can show you. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, Whipping out a badge, huh? <laughs> I finally got my badge. <laughs> On some Facebook type stuff. There it is. There he is. Wow, you look very different. <laughs> uh, one time I went with my case manager to Walnut House uh, down where Community Solutions is. Mm-hmm. And a client that just got uh, kicked out uh, unfairly. Mm. Uh, so that, that kind of has time. Uh, I have to fill out a time card, I think. It hasn't been two weeks yet, but... Uh, on Tuesday will be two weeks, so I have to ask about that. Yeah. It's a $10,000 stipend. So the thing is, from September to May, uh, my case manager let me know in mid-October, so I applied, but it took a, the county a couple months to approve mm-hmm. uh, approve me, and then it took a couple months and a half to get paperwork done, so it's only going to be for two months. Yeah. But I think it'll be, and so far has been a valuable experience. Mm. Uh, what I, potentially what uh, I, well, part of my duty is to help clients. Uh, well, my case manager put it this way. It's for someone who's doing really well and has the ability to get other people to do well themselves. Yeah. Uh, so the support. Could, You're part of the support group. Mm, so we could be helping people get uh, on public transportation and showing them how to use it, uh, helping someone apply to school or for general assistance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also you're involved in tutoring. And that's a recent thing. So you just signed up and you just got hired, rather, to tutor in one of DeAnza's uh, reading and writing Writing centers? and reading center. Well, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I got an email uh, not this past Tuesday, not the Tuesday before, that was spring break. Yeah. But the Tuesday before that. I got an email. I just got off from work, and I was at the Jiffy Lube outside the the 323 station and the 23, also the 81. So mm-hmm. they have free Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I saw the email. I was like, dear potential tutor, uh, since you've been a successful student at De Anza, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know. But I, I was thinking about it. I was like, I really want to do this, but I also have the peer mentorship. Uh, so I talked to my mom about it and my dad about it on Thursday when I saw my dad at court on Thursday and I talked to my mom afterwards and she was like, no, you should do this. We don't know when the peer mentorship is going to start. Uh, so, I, you know, we decided that it would be a good experience for me to apply. Okay. So I did. Uh, they then, Victoria, she sent me the interview questions after uh, she called me and said you met all the uh, basic requirements, have a 3.0 cumulative GPA, be taking at least 12 units, uh, 
grade of B or higher in English 1A or equivalent. Uh, so she called me and set up an appointment uh, the following Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So she sent the interview questions. Some of them, uh, a couple of them were, what do you want to, what will be the hardest part and the easiest part for you? Uh, how would you deal with a student who wants you to do their homework? Yeah, how uh, did you respond to that? I said that cheating has no place in the learning process. Mm -hmm. uh, it It's sending a message that you don't care about your education and that other it's not fair to other people who are doing it, honestly. Okay. And uh, I tell them maybe I'm not the best resource at the time, so you can approach your professor about getting help. I need to see some effort from you before we can uh, work on it. Yeah. Uh, that recently happened to me is uh, this person asked me to tutor them, a uh, private tutor. <laughs> and I said, all right, you know, uh, I can't guarantee any results, though. And it's it's not like it's not like I'm going to be uh, like, honestly, most of what I'm going to do is just tell you which direction you should be going in. But you have to actually go in that direction for it to work out. And they're like, well, I don't really know, you know. I just I want to get the best grade possible. Uh, yeah, you're not really the best uh, 2T for me then. <laughs> if you have an interest in learning it, great, right? Especially if you're hungry. But if you're like, you know, just trying to play the game, I'm, there are actually people who are way better tutors than me just because of the style. But it's interesting that, uh, yeah, that's a part of the whole thing. Anyhow, yeah, just like peer mentoring, tutoring is a way of giving back. But what I also realized for me, because I started tutoring in the fall, which was like right around the time where I graduated. Um, in fact, I started a little bit before I graduated. And uh, one of the things I've learned since then, two quarters have gone by, I'm going into the third quarter, is that the joy in it isn't, the, the joy in it is very simple, it's very human. And it's just helping somebody out, that's it. It's not. There's really nothing more to it. And the more fun it is for me, usually, like, if I'm having fun, they're having more fun. And since I'm tutoring math as opposed to writing, most people are coming in with math anxiety. So they're terrified from the jump. So the playfulness can kind of ease their nerves. And uh, what may, in other situations, seem uh, like less professional is actually, for me, the, the approach that works the best, which is just being a kind person, being a helping person, and also um, also being a person who's not like an authority. I'm just someone, I'm someone your age helping you. That's it. There's not anything more or anything less. And um, I think that, long story short, I think that tutoring could become something that's fulfilling in the same way that being a peer mentor is fulfilling. It could be. I could be wrong. But uh, it's just with a different demographic. That's the biggest shift, is that you're not going to be dealing with people getting out of jail. You're going to be dealing with somebody who wants to go to Berkeley. Yeah, it could be someone, uh, an international student, you know, learning English for the first time. Or, yes, yeah, there you go. There's all kinds of levels. I... I don't know, I might not be 
teaching someone who's uh, in English 1B class. I could be teaching, you know, in developmental reading, you know, someone, all different kinds of levels of uh, understanding the material and yeah, and backgrounds, of course, which is the same for anyone that's tutoring any subject. Yeah. And, and the I mean, one quick summary of it is that the helping isn't just for them. It's for you. But there, there are plenty of people to help, right? So you might want to uh, find the, 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 the people that you want, the, the, the people who desire help from you. You might want to find those people in a way that aligns with the rest of your life. And for everybody who is involved in the jail circuit, especially, but also the mental health circuit, um, the big question is, can you survive in regular society, right? Can you basically, can you eventually achieve a state of independence once you've been through certain experiences that have made you dependent on another system or dependent on another person? And um, one benefit that uh, focusing, if you had to choose, not that you do have to choose, focusing on tutoring as opposed to the peer mentorship is that there's a networking component to the tutoring. That's not the case for the peer mentorship. That unless you want to be a probation officer, then of course <laughs> peer mentorship would be the better option, or you want to work in criminal justice. Yeah. But if you if you if you look at the the two T's as potential, uh, not just the two T's, but also everyone you're interacting with, as potential people to vouch for you in the future, then suddenly the uh, the value of, of tutoring and interacting with that demographic that you have the option to interact with, um, uh, the, the value that that can bring is that, you know, you have, you're, you're making really solid connections. Um, not too long ago, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I want, I want you to send me your resume. And I said, why? And they said, uh, well, I know you're kind of like, uh, like you have some interest in math and, you know, you're, you're a nice guy. So I know someone who is running this company, you know, it's something dealing with AI or some shit like that, and they need interns. And it might not be a paid internship, but it could be an opportunity for you. So, uh, you know, I'm preparing my resume. But one of the reasons why that happened was because I was just in the general vicinity of people who, I don't, I'm not seeking for anybody to do anything for me, but one characteristic of being at a school, right, is that you have educated people and you have people who are business-oriented surrounding you. And this person was not directly, this wasn't one of my two T's, this wasn't anybody I worked for. It's just somebody who, through osmosis, I ended up meeting, and it turned out that, you know, an opportunity has arisen for me. Now, is that actually going to be a meaningful, uh, you know, thing in my life? Perhaps not. Maybe I make my resume and I say, hey, I've been, I was in Elmwood from this date to this date. And they say, no, fuck this. We don't want to take any risks with this guy. All right. Um, but that is the nature of networking. And I want to emphasize that as someone who has been in Evans Lane, you're an, you're an anomaly in this county. You know what I mean? Nobody, it's like a Tascadero. Nobody makes it out. So if you're out, doesn't mean, it would actually be good for the mental health community Right, and this might be a little non-intuitive, but not that that's a community you care about. I'm just saying it would be good if you were just successful, even if you weren't a peer mentor. I don't want you to feel that you're not helping out people in need. 
You are just by being who you are and being, you know, and living your life. In a way, your recovery is the best thing you could do for the other people who are coming up behind you who are going through the same process because the, you'll be a success story. And plus, sometimes, sometimes you can put yourself in a better position to help people, you know. So um, it's, it's not an either or. It's not a one or the other. But I just want to, you know, from what I'm hearing, I wanted to throw out there as food for thought that, one, a benefit of doing these things is benefiting you. That's a part of it. And maybe it's hard to see at the beginning, but helping people helps you. It's a part of your self-care, or at least it's a part of mine, and I suspect it will become a part of yours. And second, that just because you're not directly helping somebody doesn't mean you're not helping them. You also have to factor in that given networking and given the power of inspiration, which you've already shown, that's why you're recommended for a peer mentor, um, that you can create opportunities for yourself to become more ingrained in the normal society and survive there, you know, without constantly needing some support in one form or another from the courts or from the fucking who knows, right? <laughs> That's the real goal. And if you can do that, then you'll be in a better position to, to recommend steps for other people besides the 12 steps. You know, there's enough people talking about the 12 steps. <laughs> Uh, but anyhow, this seems like a good uh, stopping point. So on this note, you already know. Uh, by the way, I didn't realize this, but remember that Topology Red episode? Maybe you don't, but I, we were at Evans Lane and I was talking about Topology. And it was the first episode where I did the most important question in the universe. Well, that guy, the rogue mathematician, uh, he's my professor now. So I thought, man, it's been, like... I tried to take his class once a while ago and then ended up it didn't work out and then one thing led to another. But I'm finally in a point where like I, got a, uh, I passed Math 10. I got a C in Math 10, which I should have failed. Mm. Not Math 10, I'm sorry. Math 22. I didn't take Math 10, mm. uh, which is discrete, discrete math. So it deals with uh, proving a lot of things around integers, real numbers, blah, 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 cardinality, blah, 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 blah. Uh, tree diagrams. It, it touches on a lot of those topics that are relevant to computer science. But anyhow, um, I should have failed, but I got to see. And I thought, wow, this quarter is like the first quarter since the Ruskegee days where I'm actually in a position to get an A. Like, that's possible. Like, I don't, I don't feel like there's any huge leaps and bounds I need in my study habits anymore which I made a fucking horror. I made, well, to me, it's kind of funny, but I made this solo episode like a month ago, two months ago, where I was just, I just went to a park and started screaming about how much I hate where I am right now, uh, academically. Mm. I was like, dude, I fucking suck right now. Like, this is not fun. And now, I, honestly, I have improved since that date. It's not perfect, right? But... That just shows some improvement. I wanted to make a record of like, hey, I'm not always on the top. Sometimes you're on the bottom and you have to work to the top. So let me make something while I'm on the bottom and then see if I ever make it to the top. The top, quote unquote. So anyhow, that guy's my professor now. I got the new setup. You graduated. There are a number of milestones at the beginning of the spring quarter related to, that, that are all kind of connected to the Evans Lane life, to you, um, to my growth as a student, 
etc. So I thought it was pretty uh, interesting that, um, you know, here we are again uh, with the most important question in the universe. <laughs> the most important <laughs> question in the universe. Are you ready? I am. Underneath or around? You might have given this one to me before. I already gave that to you? Okay, fine. Let me do a new one then, all right? Uh, most important question in the universe. The most important question in the universe. Holes or points? Points. That's right. The Chef of Thank X you podcast. So much for your time. Mm, Thank delicious. you for graduating. And uh, keep cooking.